his um, successor uh, to the throne. And um, he gives his last speech, and we looked at some of the things that Solomon had, or David had told Solomon. One of the first ones being to follow the Lord, uh, and how important that message is. And then he gave uh, Solomon some practical advice for some specific situations. Uh, And we looked at last week doing the same to the next generation of our time as well, instilling biblical truths in a broad way of who God is, and on specific moments, teaching them biblical truths, calling them teachable moments uh, as well, and what we can do and use uh, and our part of training the next generation, whether you are the next generation and receiving that instruction, or um, training the next generation in biblical truth like we looked at last week. So we're going to continue tonight in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, Timeless Truths, that we are seeing from the book of 1 Kings here, from people's lives and um, we're, we're continuing on in our narrative, all right? Um, I like the word narrative because when you, when you use the word story, you kind of have a connotation that it might not be true, but this actually happened. This is part of history, and uh, it's included here in the Bible for us, and uh, we can pull several things, several applications from these events that transpired. So as we look at the interpretation of this passage here tonight, I want to see another crucial, timeless truth that we can learn as believers. Um, and in, second, in, in the second chapter here, um, David gives the speech, and then we go on, and Solomon is now king of Israel. Right? David passed away. We saw that last week um, in verse uh, 11 and 12 in that area. And um, Solomon is now the king of Israel. Now, in order to understand fully tonight where we're about to pick up, we have to do a little bit of review with a character in our narrative. One that keeps popping up, and his name is Adonijah. And uh, if you remember, that's the, that's the first character we looked at. The opportunist, promoting himself and his agenda. And we looked at how pride destroys the work of God. And uh, we looked at how he was promoting himself to be king as David was older and sick. And uh, it didn't work out. Uh, Word got to David from Nathan and Bathsheba. David gave the command to anoint Solomon king. And when word got to Adonijah, he runs to the brazen altar and grabs hold of the horns of the altar in an act to to claim sanctuary, in an act to save his life. And then when we looked at that passage, we looked at having prudence because Adonijah should have known better. He had an older brother who did the exact same thing, who saw a disastrous result. And prudence is being cautious about any effects or anything this might cause. And Adonijah didn't have that. And we looked at that. But if you remember in that study, in that passage back in chapter 1, in verse 52, Solomon comes to Adonijah as he's at the altar. And Adonijah is pleading for his life. And Solomon saves his life with a condition. If you remember and look back at verse 52. And that condition is that Adonijah behave himself a worthy man. And that means several different things. First off, that he behave himself in a way that is uh, not usurping the throne, not usurping authority, and not uh, causing any more trouble in the kingdom, but also in uh, in the realm of godliness as well, behaving himself worthy in that way. And uh, we're going to see Adonijah, the end of Adonijah, and see that he really didn't learn his lesson either. You know, he didn't learn his lesson the first time around. How many of you have ever can look back at your life, maybe as a child or even as an adult now, and see times where you just didn't learn your lesson the first time, and you end up doing the same thing 
again. One thing that I can relate to with this is when I go to an amusement park. Now, uh, I am not a huge amusement park guy. In fact, I, I'm, I'm not one that loves the rush of adrenaline and everything that goes in when you are scared for your life on a roller coaster. But uh, Pastor Joe just, just does not learn his lesson when he's at an amusement park because I'll get on one because of peer pressure and I will hate the entire ride. I mean, I will be scared for my life. You know, you try to act calm at the beginning of it. You try to, like, scream, but at the moment there's a drop, your voice just goes and your heart drops, and it's, you're just clinging for dear life. And then you get off the ride and you're walking around. And then you'd think that I would learn my lesson, but then people convince me to get on another ride. And it just keeps happening, keeps happening, and I don't learn my lesson from the hatred that I had to the last ride. And then I just keep doing it to myself, and sometimes I don't know why. But here is a man that as we look in our narrative, it's like, Adonijah, what are you doing? Just learn your lesson. Don't do it again. But he's unfortunately a character where you can almost guess what he's going to do the next time. Because he's not learning his lesson uh, in this passage. So here in in 1 Kings chapter 2, we're going to look at, um, again, this is the time frame we are here in the Old Testament of Israel. The time frame uh, is the kings here, um, very close to the end of Israel in the Old Testament times. And uh, we are looking through that period. Obviously, the kings started with King Saul, and we had King David. And now we have King Solomon. Yes, he is the king of Israel now as we look in in 1 Kings chapter 2. So as we look here, we're going to look at verses 13 through 25 tonight and see Adonijah's. And so let's go ahead and read this together. And then we will try to interpret this this evening. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And and he said peaceably, he said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of thee, Deny me not. And she said unto him, Say on. And he said, Speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay, that he give me... Abishag the Shunammite to wife. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. Verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went into King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on my mother, for I will not say thee nay. And she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is mine elder brother, even for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon sware by the Lord, saying, God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me in house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him and he died. And as we look at the end of Adonijah's life here, we're going to see another crucial truth, a timeless truth that we can apply to our lives. Let's pray. 
Jeremy Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for truths in your word that we can trust, that we can submit to, and know that it is your will. We pray that uh, as we look into your word tonight, that you would guide our time and keep our hearts humble before you um, so that we can learn what we need to improve on or maybe uh, get rid of in our lives to better glorify you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At first glance, when I read this section, I kind of have several questions going on, in my mind at least, about what is happening here. Is there symbolism in Adonijah's action? Was it just a gross request that put King Solomon over the edge? Hopefully we can shed some light on those questions here this evening as we look at yet another timeless truth. Now the first thing that we see in this narrative from verses 13 through 17 is Adonijah's request to Bathsheba. So as Solomon takes over the throne, here we see one of the very first things we have accounts of that he must deal with as king of Israel. It's someone he's dealt with before. It's his older brother, Adonijah. And Adonijah pops back into our narrative and has somewhat of a strange request for Solomon's mother Bathsheba. And he has a message he wants her to bring before the king. That's what's going on here in our narrative. So a couple of things that we see here. The first one is this. No one trusts Adonijah at this point. I mean, we would not either. If we were, if we were Bathsheba or if we were Solomon or close to that royal family, Adonijah is one you are watching very closely as Solomon first becomes king. Uh, because he had already promoted his jealous, uh, jealousy and wanting of that position. And you can really see here in verse 13 that uh, Bathsheba has that worry as well as she ha- says... Comest thou peaceably? Like, why are you here? What, what is going on? Why is Adonijah here? Um, is this something that I have to be worried about? I, I'm pretty sure the first thought that came through Bathsheba's mind was not, oh great, um, our weekly talk with my half-son on Wednesdays that we, we do on a, I'm pretty sure Adonijah probably rarely spoke to Bathsheba. And not only because of his previous actions, but because of all of this, there is a huge distrust towards this man. I mean, he is being watched like a hawk, and rightly so, for his previous actions and, and what he showed that was in his heart. And uh, Bathsheba here, as we, as we go through this narrative, one thing is going to be um, a little unclear, and it's Bathsheba's motives behind this. Um, and I could, I could give you my opinion, but the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't tell us. Um, what her motives is here. Is she naive and just taking that request to King Solomon? Um, my opinion is maybe that she sensed there was something wrong here and there's, this, there's these red flags, just the fact that it's Adonijah. And whatever he said, she probably would have taken to King Solomon. Whatever the case is, we're going to see that she does. But um, we see that no one really trusts Adonijah. We also see that Adonijah believed that the kingdom was in his grasp and that even Israel was looking at him as the next king and you see that in verse 14 he said that all Israel looked upon me basically Adonai just starts out his whole request here to Bathsheba and say you knew that the kingdom was in my grips you knew that the people of Israel were ready to make me king they were just waiting on David's affirmation to that fact you can almost sense a little bit of just uh, anger I mean he was so close it was in his grasp and and Bathsheba's probably, without going any farther, like, what is about to happen to me? Like, I am, I am the one that went to King David to stop your plot. 
Uh, so what is this all about? What is this request about? And, and he had fully believed that Israel was to the point where they would accept him as the next king of Israel, and very likely so, uh, with what he had done with Joab and Abiathar. Uh, but it all came crashing down when uh, King David did not promote him, Adonijah, as king, but Solomon, and Solomon was anointed. He believed it was his by acceptance of the people and by birthright, and all of Israel he thought, looked at me as the next successor, and we're just waiting for David to affirm that fact. So we see that he believed that the kingdom is his, but then he, he kind of follows up that with a statement here that we don't want to uh, get the wrong picture of, because Adonijah really does not believe the next statement that he says. Uh, this statement that he says is solely to get Bathsheba to try to listen, to get Bathsheba to take this request to King Solomon, but he says, um, Adonijah is almost cooling himself down, and he flatters Bathsheba by his next statement. Howbeit the king misturned about, and has become my brothers, for it was, it was his from the Lord. And Adonijah didn't believe that. We're going to see why here in a second. The kingdom was turned from me to him, and we're going to see that Adonijah did not actually believe it. In fact, Adonijah still believes his will is better than God's clear will. Not only was it, it was clear before Solomon was anointed king, because God had proclaimed it, now it's more... Solomon is sitting on the throne. He is the king of Israel, but Adonijah cannot accept that. He cannot accept God's will over his own. And so Adonijah says this in a deceptive way, knowing he must get Bathsheba to agree with his request. Uh, you can almost say to get them off scent uh, is another way to put it, why he says this here. In this entire narrative, we're going to see Adonijah still trying to usurp authority of the throne. So by stating this, he's trying to do what he can for his next plan to get into motion. Is basically what's happening um, in verse 15 there. And in an act to try and undermine the throne yet again, Adonijah asked for Abishag's hand in marriage. Now, this is where the bulk of our interpretation has to be this evening. Because why is this such a horrible act? Why is this something that was deserving of that um, death penalty and deserving of that, um, that condition that Solomon put to behave yourself a worthy man. We're going to look at that. So Adonijah asked to be given Abishag the Shunammite. We've heard that name before, right? Back in chapter 1, when uh, King David is sick and he is, he is struggling to get body heat. I mean, they can't, they can't heat his body. And he's, and he's sick with this. And though they, so they give King David Abishag the Shunammite made... Um, and they give him to, her for, uh, to him for medicinal purposes to keep him warm. And the Bible is very clear there in chapter 1 that David did not know her in a sensual way. And, uh, but she was given to David in the same way David would have been given a concubine. Uh, she really was. And David is at his old age and he's sick. Um, so while the time that he had her at his disposal is for medicinal purposes. And so his request here is for that same um, beautiful uh, maiden, Abishag. And uh, a couple of things. Why is this deserving of what we're about to see? Um, we see several things. Abishag was much younger than David, uh, very fair looking. Um, and at first glance, this may seem as a simple request for Abishag as wife, but there's actually more to it. There's more behind this in Adonijah's mind. Um, and it can be debated a little bit. Most scholars agree with what's going on in Adonijah's life. But it could be here that going back to the law in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 8, 
um, where it talks about the immorality of knowing your father's wife. Um, it could be that it was a direct um, sin against that, which is why. Um, and it's possible that Bathsheba and Adonijah were ignorant of that law. I don't really think that they were, though, being in the palace. I think they knew that law very well. Um, Sir Solomon was in charge. There's this also uh, scholars state that since David did not know Abishag, she was a concubine, not a wife, and so that law would not uh, come into play. And as was custom, the concubines would belong to the successor to the throne uh, during that time. So Solomon was in charge of what happened to Abishag the Shunammite. And that, that is true, um, which is why you see... Um, that Adonijah has to go through Solomon. Uh, But again, perhaps in light of the fact that she was not David's actual wife, Bathsheba and Adonijah thought this was morally okay. But I think there's one more thing to be said about this situation. I believe there probably was some of Adonijah who might have been attracted to Abishag, the Shunammite woman. However, verse 22 in our passage leads me to believe there is an ulterior motive behind this request. Because as soon as Solomon hears this request, I mean, guards go up. His red flags go up. And there is an ulterior motive here. And so, what could this ulterior motive be? And it's widely believed and studied to be the case that during this time, the widows of the late king would become the wives and concubines of the successors. Right? That's in um, historical accounts during this time. So to seek to marry one was making a claim to the throne. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Let's see if we can back that up. We can back that claim up um, a little bit here this evening. Verse 22 states that Solomon is immediately alarmed at this request and uh, states, as for Abishag, does he ask for the kingdom also? Uh, That would seem to go right along with this custom here. Solomon sees at once an ulterior motive, a motive to gain the throne. Well, there are, are there any examples of someone doing this to try to claim the throne? Well, yes, Adonijah's older brother, Absalom, who we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 21, taking possession of the harem was an act of claiming sovereignty or control over Israel. And this was a custom. And uh, in doing so, in taking on the late king's concubine or, concubine or wife, it was an act to say, I'm taking over, I'm taking control. And that's what we see the custom is. And we also see, again, one of our biggest evidences here is how Solomon reacts to it in verse 22. He obviously interprets this as an attack on the throne. And uh, historically, again, this is an act, this act was a claim to the throne. So maybe that sheds a little bit more light on what's happening here. Adonijah's not learning his lesson. He's uh, beginning a prelude. This is the beginning of his next plan put into motion. And so we see Bathsheba takes the request to King Solomon in verses 18 through 21. Again, we're not told why Bathsheba um, is compliant with bringing this request before King Solomon. Could be that she was naive, possibly. It could be that she actually picked up on the ulterior motive as well, very possible. Um, It could just be that she thought maybe this would silence Adonijah for good if he just got this last thing. We don't know, but she takes it to King Solomon. And in this, in this instance, in, in verses 18 through 21, we actually see a lot of the culture here and what transpires between Bathsheba and King Solomon that's going to help us later on in the book of 1 Kings as well. So verse 19, Bathsheba comes in uh, to King Solomon and Solomon bows and shows reverence to his mother. Usually when you come into the king, 
You are the one bowing before the king. You are the one showing reverence to the king. So this sheds some light on the culture here. And we're going to see this throughout the book of 1 Kings as well. The mother of the king was very, very prized. In fact, they called it the position of queen mother. The queen mother position. Instead of you looking at the king's wives or concubines as being the queen, you would look at the king's mother as being the queen. And so that's Bathsheba's position here. We're actually going to see that two more times through the book of 1 Kings in chapter 11. And I believe it's in chapter 15 as well. And so verse 19 shows us that the king bows himself down before his mother. And he sets a seat next to him. That word seat can be translated throne. It's the exact same Hebrew word that's translated throne in that verse previously. And she was placed in the, in the place of greatest honor on the king's right hand side. This, was, this position, culturally, no doubt was be created because the kings had a very high regard for their mother. Uh, and no doubt Solomon is no exception here. And you can see that with how he treats his mother and how he, he reverences this position as she walks in. And in verse 20, Solomon goes uh, even further and he is ready to grant his mother any request that she may have. He has all the power right now to do whatever he wants and his beloved mom comes in and uh, sits on his right-hand side. And his heart is to give her. He has, she's done so much for him probably in his life. And now he can give back. And he's excited about what his mother might ask. And he has all of the resources to actually do for her. And uh, he's excited about that. And he says, whatever it is, I will give it to you. But then we see Solomon. Uh, again, we see Solomon promises to grant his mother whatever she would ask. Then we see Solomon was not expecting a request from Adonijah. I mean, that's what this request is um, and, and who it is from. So in verse 21, Bathsheba gives the exact same request that Abishag be given to Adonijah to be his wife. And uh, the more than likely, this more than likely took Solomon off guard. He, he was prepared to grant her something, something that actually had to do with her. Uh, but then she mentions Adonijah, and almost immediately he understands this request is not from you. This request is from Adonijah. And he picks up on that immediately. And then we see how Solomon responds and reacts in the rest of this part of the narrative in verses 22 through 25. Bathsheba brings this news to King Solomon, and immediately Solomon picked up on the motive behind this request. Solomon recognized this request as the prelude or the beginning of yet another plot of Adonijah. He says, ask for him the kingdom also. This is an act to claim control, that he was taking control of the former king's concubine or whatever it might be. And Solomon recognized this request right away. This directly went against the condition that Solomon gave to his older brother in chapter 1. Verse 52, as Adonijah was pleading for his life. And Solomon gave him a condition, behave yourself a worthy man. And this act went directly against that condition. All Adonijah had to do to live in peace in Israel was to behave himself a worthy man, loyal to the throne and to God. But one of the first things that he does is scheme again for another opportunity to take the throne. Perhaps Adonijah believed it was still early in Solomon's reign and it was still unstable, and it was his last opportunity to take a shot at it. Joab and Abiathar are suspected to be involved yet again. If you look in verse 22, Solomon 
puts them all together in this. All right, Joab and Abiathar are suspected of being involved. Solomon in verse 22 states the unity of Joab and Adonijah and Abiathar in gaining the throne. These three men who cannot give up their own will when God has clearly made his will known. God had declared King Solomon and these three men felt that Adonijah was the logical choice, but they didn't get their way. And when they didn't get their way, all three of them decided to submit to God's will, right? And uh, jump on board with this new King Solomon and be involved in one of the most prosperous times in the nation of Israel. Wrong. They're not willing to submit to God's will. They didn't get the man that they wanted. These men are still not in agreement with God's clear will, with Solomon on the throne, and it wasn't their man. So before I submit to this king that wasn't even my choice, I'm going to try one last time to undermine his authority. Adonijah still did not submit. He still promoted his own agenda. How foolish can Adonijah be? But before we get too hard on Adonijah this evening, we actually do this a lot ourselves in our own lives. We want something to work out our way. We want the outcome to look good for me. We want our agendas to be pushed, whatever it might be. And when God makes it clear... And God's will is not what we were desiring. Instead of humbly submitting, we say no. I don't care that it's clear that this is God's direction. I won't be a part of it. I will continue to voice my complaints. And this is what actually should have happened. Don't think that Christians are not above how Adonijah responds here. And we have to be very careful. Joab and Abiathar, again, are a part of this. Solomon makes the decision to have Adonijah killed. You see that phrase there, God do so to me and more also. That phrase is actually very common in the culture and simply was the way someone started an oath or started a commitment. It was like the first phrase anybody would say if they were to make a commitment. We're actually going to see that exact phrase uh, two more times in the book of 1 Kings. It's mentioned another time in 2 Kings. It's a cultural thing. How they started an oath or started a commitment. That was the phrase. God do so to me and more also. That's how they started it. Um, And basically stating that Adonijah with his actions had sealed his fate. Um, When he says in in that phrase in in verse 22 and 23, he's stating that Adonijah has sealed his own fate with his actions here, with this request, with what he's speaking. And so then we see towards the end of this narrative that Solomon sends Beniah to kill Adonijah. And we know who Beniah is. He was uh, King David's uh, chief bodyguard. No doubt he's Solomon's chief bodyguard right now as well. One thing that we're going to learn about Beniah as well, he's not just the chief bodyguard, he's actually the chief executioner, both under King David and under King Solomon. In fact, in chapter 2, Solomon's going to send him out two more times for two men uh, deserving of the death penalty. So that's our narrative here. That's what's happening um, in this section of Scripture. Adonijah was not willing to put God's will and plan above his own. So we, we progress in our narrative and the character of the man Adonijah is put to death. Not only do we see through his life that pride destroys the work of God in chapter 1. And that prudence is needed to avoid unnecessary hardships that Adonijah had to deal with because he didn't have the prudence to not do something in his life. But we see one more crucial thing through Adonijah's life. Our timeless truth this evening is this. We must develop a spirit that says, 
God's will over my will. God's will first. God's plan above my plan. God's wants above my wants. God's agenda above my agenda. Adonijah couldn't get that. But it's crucial tonight that we understand this as Christians. It's crucial tonight you understand this in your family. I hope your prayers, parents, is that God's will is done in your family, in your child's life. I hope that it's your prayer, teenager, that God's will is done with your future, with how and what you do in the future. And I hope and pray that our prayer tonight in a time of transition here at Eagle Heights Baptist Church is God's will, not our own agenda. This is what we're talking about here. We must develop a spirit that says God's will above my own will. God's plan above my plan. God's will should always be above our own will. Adonijah lacked this in his life. There are parts of God's will that have been revealed to us. And they should be above our own will. Live by his word. Children, obey your parents. Love one another. Avoid strife and anger. Love one another. All of these different things. Those are revealed wills of God that we see in Scripture that are very clear to us, that should be precedent, that should be first in our life. But there's also another part of God's will that we have to understand, and that's God's plan, and that's God's direction, that's God's outcome for something. And it's vitally important that as Christians, that's what we're searching for. God's will for the outcome. God's plan. God's direction. And many times, that's not actually revealed until it's taken place. We need to develop a spirit, spirits that are willing to put selfish ambitions aside, wants and desires aside, for the sake of God's will being done. And so, very quickly as we close, what does this look like? The first thing here, we must have submission to and trust in our God. That's how it starts. Believer, if you are going to have a desire for God's will above my will, you're going to have to be willing to submit to him, even if the outcome is not what you had thought. You're going to have to trust him for an outcome that you don't know. We have to submit and trust our God. Several passages of scripture point to this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, as Christ is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says this in his prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not my planned outcome for the church or my family, or this specific situation, but yours, God. Let it be done because you know better than I do. Your plan is better than mine. Luke 22, verse 42, Christ gives us a personal example himself. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As our God, as our creator, as our savior prayed before he was crucified on the cross, you see him as he weeps and talks about this cup or this crucifixion that he must face. It's only reasonable that a human would request would be made to maybe see if there's another way. But it's only spiritual to say what Jesus said after. Nevertheless, not what I want, not my will, but yours be done. Christ giving us the perfect example. Oh, we're fine with God's will when it matches with ours, right? But when God's plan takes us in a different direction or when God calls a man to our church who wasn't our first pick, I pray we have the same attitude of not my will, God, not my agenda, not my wants, but your will for this situation. 
Acts 21, verse 14 says, And when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, The will of the Lord be done. Basically what's happening there is Christians were telling Paul not to return to Jerusalem because surely he would be put to death. They were waiting for Paul to return in Jerusalem. And Paul said, I'm ready to die. Um, I'm ready. If that's what's going to happen, that's the Lord's will. And when he would not be persuaded, they left the situation to this. The Lord's will be done. This type of response only comes when we're humble before God and willing to submit to the unknown. There are young people here tonight whom God has not yet made it clear what you should do with your future. Why don't you start by praying, God's will be done in my life. God's will be done with my future. Whatever it is, I don't care if that's going on the mission field. I don't care if God calls me into full-time ministry. Why don't you pray tonight, young person, God's will be done with my life, not my own. Maybe there are parents here tonight or brothers and sisters in Christ who have situations and circumstances that you may think you have the best answer for. Why don't you start praying about the circumstance and say, God's will be done. How about we start putting our own wills and plans aside and ask God for his will and plan. Church member, as we are in the midst of searching for a new pastor, dedicate yourself to pray daily. God, your will for this church, not mine. Not my opinions or the one I think is best, but God, your perfect man for Eagle Heights. That's hard to do, is it not? To sit and say, God, I trust you. And I trust you with the end of this circumstance that I can't see. It's hard to trust something you can't see. I submit to be humble to your choice of outcome, God. It's a hard thing to do. Unfortunately, we don't see that response much today. Would you be willing tonight to submit to God's will, whatever that looks like? Whatever that looks like for your family, your life, our church. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 gives us a great passage for, for Christians. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We need this passage. Trust in the Lord with our transition at church, with your circumstance at home, with your future. Don't lean on your own understanding, our own human logic and intellect, like Adonijah, Joab, and Abiathar did. In all of our ways, let's acknowledge God. Let's take it to God and make sure he is the sole reason, not anything selfish. And guess what? He will direct thy paths. Isn't that our prayer? Not that the pulpit committee directs the paths of of the church, or that Pastor Joe directs the steps of his family, but that God does. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit thy ways unto who? The Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He will be in every step of your way. Commit it or submit it to God, and trust in him, and you will find that he's not, uh, he's not yourself Will be, or he will be in the entire process. Psalm 40 and verse 4, Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and, re, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside lies. We want God to bless this church. We want God to bless our families. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. I wonder tonight, whatever situation it is, if you would submit to the Lord's will, and the Lord's plan, and not your own outcome. 
I pray tonight that as we have men come and we search out God's will for the next pastor of our church, that our daily prayer from now until then would be, God, your will for our church. Does that mean we step back and don't do anything? Absolutely not. We do our due diligence. We pray earnestly. We seek God earnestly so we can better discern God's will. But if your opinion of the outcome of the situation uh, that you have or the outcome of the next pastor for our church is marred by even a little bit of selfishness, it's probably not the right spirit. Your likes and dislikes and wants and biases may not be God's will. We need to be willing to give up our agendas. Adonijah, Joab, and Abiathar were not willing to do that. I'm not talking about sin issues here tonight, obviously. God's plan and will will never be contrary to his word, to his doctrine, to his philosophy. That's why we must do our own due diligence. But when it comes to God's clear will, we have to submit in a way that says, yeah, I'm going to put my selfishness aside in this, and I'm going to jump on board. But Christians, God's will, plan, and outcome should always be what our desire is. and should always matter more to you than your own. It takes submission and trust to do that. Second thing is this. If you desire God's will, you will pray for God's will. It's the same thing we looked at when we looked at Nathan in the aspect of loyalty. It was proven by action. You could tell that he was loyal. And just like that, you can claim to want God's will above everything else, but if you are not willing to pray for it, it shows that God's will actually is not the desire of your heart. Well, I'm afraid... God's will is not what I want, or he's going to call me to do this if I just give God my life, or it might not be exactly what's fitting for my family if I give it all over to God. It might not be according to your own wants, but I can tell you this, you never have to be afraid that God's will is not the best thing for your life, because it always is. Matthew 6, again, same passage, verses 9 through 10, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pray that God's will is done in your family. Pray that God's will is done and accomplished through your life. Pray that God's will is done in your church. Commit it to prayer. The last thing we need as we search for a new pastor is individual Christians who come to the table with biases. And by the way, we all have our biases. Trying to find the man that fits their agenda. We need a body of believers who are unified in one goal through this process, finding God's will, finding God's clear will. And it takes prayer. Can I ask you to pray every day for our transition in that way? I believe it's part of our due diligence. Romans 8.27 says this, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He that knows your hearts, knows your motives, whether they are spirit-led or self-led, knows whether you truly want God's will, is making intercession for the saints, for Christians, takes it to the Heavenly Father according to what? The will of God. Is it okay to pray for personal things? Absolutely. But our prayer should always be that God's will be done. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. God promises to hear the prayers of the righteous. 1 John 5.14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. We have confidence in him. Why would we foolishly search for another pastor, or foolishly try to lead our families, or foolishly try to discern God's will for our future, without earnestly and faithfully praying and seeking God in his word? Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, 
continuing instant in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, one of my favorite passages, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. In all things by prayer and supplication, I truly believe tonight that if God's people will truly humble themselves and ourselves and empty ourselves of our own will and desire and pray that God's will be done, then I believe he will answer and we will see his will done. Will you commit to pray for God's will tonight, for your future, for the church's future, for your family, for the school? The list could go on and on. And everything can we commit to prayer and pray for God's will. Don't just say you want God's will and not take time to pray for God to reveal his will. And then lastly, when God's will or plan has been made clear, submit, submit to it and continue to be involved in serving him. If you have submitted yourself to God's will and outcome, and you've earnestly prayed either for your future or your church member or your family or God's revealed plan for the church, and that plan that God revealed did not happen to meet your own personal biases or wants or desires, be humble enough to put those biases and desires away and enjoy God's will and continue to serve him. Why? Because God blesses when we are in and on board with his will. Adonijah, Joab, and Abiathar didn't get what they wanted and decided not to submit to God's plan, but to come up against it. And as a result, not only does Adonijah lose his life here, but none of them got to experience some of the most prosperous years that God had ever given Israel in riches and in wisdom. And they weren't able to be a part of it. Christian, when God's plan was not yours, do not be so proud that you cannot submit to his will. Die to self and fall in love with what God's will is and was. Again, let me repeat, I'm not talking about things contrary in doctrine or contrary to the Bible. I'm talking about personal agendas, likes, dislikes, biases. You and I are not God. And the fact is that God's plan is always better than ours. Don't resent God's choice, God's outcome, and God's plan. Fall in love with it. And when you have prayed earnestly and earnestly desired God's will through the process, I believe you will find yourself being very thankful for God's will instead of coming up against it. Christ said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Unfortunately, we have seen churches who potentially did not do their due diligence in praying and seeking God's will. Instead, they were seeking their own, and as a result, God's will was not accomplished um, but man's will was. And in those cases, good families uh, have left the minute, that ministry because of the doctrine that was not sought out before the process. But unfortunately, we've also seen God's will accomplished in individual Christians who did not get their man, who did not get their wants, and they still don't submit to God's clear leading and choice. Sometimes they sow discord through likes and dislikes and biases, not doctrine or philosophy or sin. Things like age or experience or background. And they will leave the ministry and miss out on God's blessing that the body of believers are having for truly searching out and discerning God's will and plan. So let's swallow our pride this evening. God knows better than us. Dedicate yourself to praying and discerning not your will, but God's wants and his revealed will. Don't resent it, but jump on board and support that clear plan of God. So as we conclude, I realize tonight that a a big part of our emphasis has been on the transition here at church. And yes, that's the time that we face here tonight. 
And it's important that we apply that to that, but it can be applied in all areas of our life, can it not? Can you honestly say this evening that you are more in love with God's will that you might know, not know the outcome of than you are your own will? Teenager, would you dedicate to pray daily that God has his will and way in your life and what you decide to do with your life? Parents, would you dedicate to pray earnestly that God's will is accomplished through your child and through your family? Brothers and sisters in Christ, would you fall in love with and pray for God's will for your life in the areas of work, finances, family, and your personal life? God's will and plan is the best place to be, and we should be striving daily to make sure we are in God's will and living according to it. And yes, church member, would you dedicate to pray for God's will for a pastor instead of just coming in cold turkey to each new candidate without previously praying and searching out God's will? Let one of our themes here at Eagle Heights be this, God's will over my will. And it's a timeless truth. Adonijah didn't know it. He didn't abide by it. We need to be very careful that we do, that we place a, a high priority on God's will in every area of our life, and that's our own desire. That's our only desire. So let's make sure we're striving to do that. Let's pray. Jimmy, Father, thank you so much for the truths in your word. We thank you for everything that you do for us. And God, I do pray that as we face different circumstances and we try to discern your will for outcomes and directions and plans, whatever they might be, that our desire would be that your will is clearly done and not our own. I pray that we'd be humble enough to submit to you and to trust in you in everything. I pray that you would work in our lives in that, that we would dedicate it to prayer in whatever situation that your will be done. We thank you for this time this evening. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.